Good morning, everyone. Let's pause once again in prayer uh, as we prepare to open the word. Let's pray. Father, you are a God of truth. Your son said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, you desire in us, uh, inward, in the inward places, truth. And you desire truth to be on our lips that matches that inward reality. And Lord, this morning we are looking at a passage that has to do with truth-telling. And so I pray, Spirit, that you would work this text deep into our bones, into our hearts and minds, that you would change us, that you would have your pleasure here this morning as we open your word. Uh, Lord, would you do what you do, disturb the comfortable and comfort the disturbed. We pray these things in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. The divorce rate in Canada is currently 38%. In other words, 38% of Canadian marriages end in divorce, which makes our nation the 10th highest for divorce in the entire world. A high national divorce rate like that would suggest, would it not, that in our nation, vows and oaths are not being taken as seriously as they might be. Another place where oaths and vows are not always taken seriously is in the court of law. And there are many documented cases in our nation, even over the past 10 years, where people have taken an oath in court only later to break the oath, to commit perjury. And perjury, of course, is a criminal offense. Of course, we could also point to the world of politics as a further example of a place where oaths are often taken lightly. A politician is sworn into office. He or she raises a hand and repeats the oath of office only to later break the oath. It would seem that oaths and vows in Western society are often taken rather flippantly or with insincerity. And we can point, of course, to many examples of that. Well, in the passage that we have under consideration this morning, our next section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has much to say about making oaths and taking oaths. Oath-taking and oath-making for Jesus Christ is serious enough a business that he devotes significant space in his sermon to address the issue. Now let's take a moment to define our terms here as we begin. What is an oath? The Oxford Dictionary defines an oath as a solemn promise about one's future actions or behavior. I think that's a decent enough definition of an oath, a solemn promise about one's future actions or behavior, but we need to enhance that definition as we turn to talk about oaths in the Bible. The kind of oath that Jesus will reference in our passage can perhaps be defined this way as a solemn promise 
about one's future actions or behavior toward another person or persons where God is called to witness the truth of the statement. One more time, an oath as understood in the Bible is a solemn promise about one's future actions or behavior toward another person or persons where God is called to witness the truth of the statement. Now, when we ask somebody to swear an oath or to make an oath, we are asking that person to tell the truth and or to be true to their word. We want the future doing of the person to match what they say or what they promise in the oath. When we take oaths ourselves, we are committing to do as we say. We are promising to act in keeping with our word. And God is usually, normally, drawn into oath-taking and oath-making. God's name is often declared in the, in the making and in the taking of oaths. We say things like, with God as my witness, or I swear on God's name. Oaths are serious business indeed. Did you know that? Because when we ask God to witness to the veracity or to the truth of the oath, we are implicitly asking him also to wield his power against us should we lie or should we renege on our commitment. Well, let's listen to Jesus now in Matthew 5, verses 33 through 37. I hope you have a Bible open. Listen to Jesus as he speaks to us about the whole concept of taking and making oaths. Jesus begins there at verse 33 by saying this, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, that particular English rendering of the original Greek, which is the English Standard Version rendering, it's okay, I think, but this is one case where I prefer the NIV version, because the NIV actually translates the Greek a little more literally here. In the NIV, verse 33 reads as follows. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. I like that version better because it gives us the word oath twice, which is a more literal rendering of the original Greek in the verse. Jesus here is talking to us on the subject of oaths. Now notice in this verse how Jesus quotes the thing that was said to the people long ago. The thing that was said to the people long ago was, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. Now, you will search in vain in the Old Testament for this exact quote that Jesus gives here 
The sentence that Jesus quotes is not in the Old Testament, at least in the precise form that Jesus gives it here. Probably what Jesus is quoting here is what we can call a rabbinic paraphrase of a whole collection of Old Testament texts. Now let me suggest three separate Old Testament texts that I think are each alluded to in this rabbinic quote, this rabbinic paraphrase. First is Leviticus 19.12. There God said, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. Second is Numbers 30, verse 2. If a man vows to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Now, just before we proceed to the third passage, can you see from the first two that we've just read that oaths and vows are a very serious matter to God. Can you see that? Let's go to the third passage that is probably alluded to in the quote that Jesus gives in Matthew 5.33. The third passage is Deuteronomy 23.21. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. Now, probably all three of those passages were the basis for what the rabbis had been saying. And again, Jesus quotes the rabbis in Matthew 5.33 as saying, Do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. And I think that underlying all these texts... So underlying Numbers 30, verse 2, and Matthew 5:33 and Leviticus 19:12 and Deuteronomy 23:21, underlying all of them were the third and ninth commandments of the Ten Commandments. The third commandment is, "You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain." And the ninth commandment is, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Those two commandments seem to be the underpinning of the rabbinic quote in Matthew 5.33 and the underpinning of the three texts that we read that are behind the quote. Jesus says, again you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not fare falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Verse 34. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Now let's stop there for a moment. Do not take an oath at all. This seems like a comprehensive prohibition on taking oaths, does it not? I mean, it seems like Jesus, he's putting a full stop here to the practice of oath-taking. 
And there are branches of the church who have understood it in that way. Some of those who have descended from the early Anabaptists, for example, certain Mennonites and the Amish, take Jesus completely literally here so that they avoid taking any oath or vow whatsoever. And for them, what this means is that they can never hold a government office. They can never sign a mortgage for a house. They can never serve in the military. Now, personally, I think that strictly literal understanding of Jesus here in Matthew 5.34 is misguided. The problem we face as we read the phrase, do not take an oath at all, is that the rest of the Bible is laden with oath-taking. The rest of the Bible is replete with oath-taking and oath-making. It's all over the place. Let me give you a bunch of examples, and we're going to breeze through these, so I would encourage you, if you like to write things down, to write the passages down and then reference them Later, first of all, we need to point out, and this is important, that God swears oaths an awful lot. In Genesis 22:16, God says, "By myself, I have sworn." As He talks to Abraham, that's oath language, swearing. Sworn, by myself I have sworn. In Genesis 26, 3, God talks about the oath that he swore to Abraham. In Psalm 105, 9, we have mention of the sworn promise that God had made to Isaac. In Psalm 89, 3, the covenant that God swore to David is mentioned there. Psalm 132.11 begins with the words, The Lord swore to David a sure oath. Jeremiah 11.5 speaks of God confirming the oath that he swore to the fathers. In Luke 1.73, Zechariah talks about the oath that God had sworn to Abraham. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 30, Peter talks about how God had sworn an oath to David. So God himself, we need to notice, takes oaths very often in Scripture. And then in Exodus 20, verses 10 and 11, God essentially commands his people there to take an oath. And then in several other passages, Deuteronomy 6.13, Deuteronomy 10.20, Isaiah 19.18, Isaiah 65.16, Jeremiah 12.16, in all those places it is assumed that people will swear oaths. And when they do in those passages, they are to swear the oath or the vow by the name of the Lord. Hebrews 6.16 says that people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. Again, 
oaths are simply assumed in both Old and New Testament as being part of current human life, human life on this side of the new creation. In the Psalms, we have several passages where performing one's vows is mentioned. Psalm 22, 25, Psalm 50, verse 14, Psalm 61, 8, and Psalm 65, 1. Again, in all those places, vows are assumed as a fact of human life. In Ecclesiastes 5, verses 4 and 5, vows are again assumed, and the encouragement in that passage is to not delay in paying one's vows to the Lord. In Genesis 14.22, we have Abraham mentioning to the king of Sodom that he, Abraham, had sworn an oath to the Lord. And in Genesis 21.23, Abimelech asks Abraham to swear an oath, and Abraham does it. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, who lived after the time when Jesus preached Matthew 5.34, very significant, the Apostle Paul swears oaths a whole bunch in his letters. In Romans 1.9, in 2 Corinthians 1.23, in 1 Thessalonians 2.5, in 1 Thessalonians 2.10, and in 1 Thessalonians 5.27, Paul puts others under oath. But I think perhaps most significant of all in this discussion is this fact. Jesus himself, when put under oath in Matthew 26, 63, and 64, when he was put under oath, he did not refuse to reply. Jesus spoke to the high priest knowing fully that he was under oath. And so with all of that in mind, taking into account that oath-taking and oath-making are so common in the Bible, in both Old and New Testaments, oaths by God and oaths by human beings, it would seem ill-advised or inappropriate to take Jesus completely, literally, in Matthew 5.34. I am convinced that what Jesus is doing in Matthew 5.34 when he says, do not take an oath at all, is he's using hyperbole again. As he already has, we've seen in the Sermon on the Mount, he's done this. He's exaggerating his point for effect. What we need to pay close attention to here in this section of Matthew 5 is where Jesus goes next. Okay, look at your Bible, where he goes next after he says, do not take an oath at all. Notice this. Let's read all of verses 34 through 36 together. Jesus says, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. 
Now, what I want us to pay attention to here are the four things in these verses that Jesus pinpoints as things that you must not take an oath by. The four things are heaven, in verse 34, earth, in verse 35, Jerusalem, also in verse 35, and one's head, in verse 36. Heaven, earth, Jerusalem, head. Jesus says, don't take an oath by any of these things. What's going on here? Listen carefully. Earlier, we pointed out that one of the three main texts that informed that saying of the rabbis, that saying that Jesus quotes in verse 33, one of the four main texts that informed that quote was Leviticus 19.12, where God had said, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. That verse, in particular, led many Jews during the time of Jesus to refrain from speaking God's name at all. God's name was so sacred that they refused to speak it at all. Instead, they began to find what were called kinuim in Hebrew, kinuim, substitute words for God's name. And they did this in order to protect themselves from uttering the divine name and blaspheming God. When you took an oath, you normally would swear by God. But now you had to use an approved substitute word for God's name. Something like Aleph Dalet, which are the first two Hebrew letters of the word Adonai. Or something like Shaddai. That was an approved substitute for God's name. Or the merciful and gracious But by the time of Jesus, the list of words by which you could swear an oath had widened out to the point that you had the words heaven, earth, Jerusalem, head. Words that were purposely chosen because they were a step or two removed from God himself. The idea was that if you swore an oath by heaven or if you swore an oath by earth or by Jerusalem or by your own head, you swore by one of those things if you did that and then you broke your oath. Well, technically, they argued, you weren't misusing or dishonoring the name of God because heaven, earth, Jerusalem and head were a step or two removed from God and his name. These terms weren't as closely associated with God himself as the terms Shaddai or the merciful and gracious or Aleph Dalet were. And so to swear oaths by heaven, earth, Jerusalem, and head was a device that was being used by people who really didn't intend to keep their oaths and vows. 
And they thought that they could get away with it because technically in their way of thinking, God's name wasn't being profaned. So they'd say, I swear by heaven, or I swear by earth. And they'd essentially have their fingers crossed behind their backs the entire time, not being fully committed to their promises. Well, listen again to how Jesus devastates that entire argument here. He says, Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven. And why must you not take an oath by heaven? Because, Jesus says, it is the throne of God. In other words, if you think that heaven is a step or two removed from God so that you can swear by heaven and not bring God's name into disrepute, I'm here to tell you, says Jesus, that heaven is in fact very closely associated with God. It is the throne of God. So stop your oath-taking in heaven's name. He continues in verse 35. He says, while we're at it, don't take oaths by the earth either. And why? Because earth is God's footstool. Earth is entirely associated closely with God. Contrary to popular rabbinic teaching, earth is God's footstool. Don't swear by earth and think that you can get away with breaking your vow later because you swore by earth. And, says Jesus, don't take oaths by Jerusalem either. What's the reason? Because Jerusalem is also intimately connected with God himself. It is the city of the great king. It is the city of God himself. And furthermore, don't take oaths by your head. And why? Because you're not God. Can you make a single hair on your head black or white? And Jesus is not talking about using L'Oreal products here <laughs> to dye your hair. What he means is that none of us has the ability to make a hair grow in in the color of our choosing. That's God's domain. God is Lord even over our heads. Our heads are closely related to God. God made our heads. God has ultimate sway even over our heads. Don't think you can escape God in your oath by swearing by your head. What's Jesus doing here? He's pointing out that heaven, earth, Jerusalem, and head are actually intimately connected with God himself. The other thing to recognize here, friends, is, is for a person to swear an oath, say, for example, by the earth or by heaven. This was effectively saying that if I renege on my oath, if I don't follow through on my commitment on this, with this oath, may earth and or heaven be destroyed. The problem is that heaven and earth are God's property. God and only God is Lord of heaven and earth. As Charles Quarles has put it, 
Heaven and earth belong to God, and only he has authority to choose to destroy them. To take an oath by heaven and earth blasphemously usurps God's position as Lord of heaven and earth. And further, Quarles says, an oath sworn by my head means may I be decapitated if I do not keep my word. And swearing by one's head implied that the person has authority over his own life, whether he lives or dies. Jesus insisted that God has absolute authority over our heads. So there was this blasphemous element in swearing by earth, heaven, or head. Can you see how important oaths and making promises are to God? I hope we can see that this morning as we're proceeding through this. What's Jesus doing in these verses? He's not prohibiting all oath-making and all oath-taking. Instead, he's prohibiting half-baked oath-taking and oath-making. He's commanding a stop to misleading oath-taking and deceptive oath-taking and oath-making. He's he's putting a stop to all of this because really it amounts to blasphemy. What Jesus, and this is important, what Jesus demands here is truth and integrity in his people. He desires truth in the heart that matches truth on the lips and vice versa. And he's pointing out in these verses a very important fact, which is simply that nobody can escape God in this matter of taking oaths and making promises. Don Carson says that in the passage, Jesus relates every oath to God. To swear by anything is to swear by God. For God, in some way, stands behind everything. John Stott says, however hard you try, Jesus said, you cannot avoid some reference to God, for the whole world is God's world, and you cannot eliminate him from any of it. Yes. In theological terminology, what Jesus is pointing out in these verses is God's omnipresence. A.W. Tozer once said that God's omnipresence means that God is everywhere here, close to everything, next to everyone. Oaths and promises are serious business, friends, because God's presence and therefore his involvement in them cannot be escaped. And God hates deceit and lying. And he loves truth in the inward person that matches a person's statements. And Jesus knows that each and every one of us is prone to lying. Because we are fallen people. Now let's deepen into the subject of oaths just for a minute. Think through this with me. 
What is the basic reason that oath-taking and oath-making exist in our world today? The basic reason for the existence of oaths is that people often lie. Yes? As Scott McKnight puts it, and I think this is great, he says, oaths assume a world in which honesty must be promised, implying that honesty is not always present. Or, as John Stock puts it, swearing something or oath-taking is really a pathetic confession of our own dishonesty. He says, we know our simple word is not likely to be trusted. So we try to induce people to believe us by adding a solemn oath. Friends, the fact is this. If we were actually, really committed to every statement we make, actually really committed, to every single statement that we make, we would have no need for oaths. Oaths would be obsolete and they would be unneeded if people were actually and always fully committed to what they said. All right, so then, Pastor, the question is this. Why did God swear oaths? If oaths exist because of the possibility of lying, how does that relate to God making oaths? Was there a possibility that God would lie, and so God had to swear oaths to ensure his credibility? And the answer is, of course the answer is, that the teaching of Scripture is that it is is impossible for God to lie. God did not make oaths in order to ensure that he told the truth because he always tells the truth. Rather, the only reason that God makes oaths is to help us in our unbelief. As Stott puts it, the reason for God making oaths is simply to elicit and confirm our faith. And friends, I think that God making oaths in that way gives us the green light to make and take oaths in the same way. So, for the sake of someone who doesn't know us well, For the person who may doubt, because they don't know us well, they may doubt whether we are truthful and trustworthy, we can take oaths. But as disciples of Jesus, I think that we should develop, listen, we should develop a reputation where those who know us well wouldn't even think of asking us to take an oath. It wouldn't enter their mind because they've observed us as being consistently trustworthy and full of integrity. That's our goal. Well, let's go finally to our last verse, verse 37. At the end of this passage, Jesus says to us, 
Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now, I think the sense here is basically the same in James 5.12. James, the brother of Jesus Christ, probably wrote James 5.12 because of what his brother said here in Matthew 5.37. The sense in James 5.12 is, let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. And I think it's the same here. Listen, as kingdom people, are you a kingdom person? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? As disciples of Jesus Christ, we must be people of integrity and truth. We must refrain from saying yes when we actually mean no. And we must refrain from saying no when we actually mean yes. In the Spirit's power, and with His help, we must live lives that are committed. Our lives must be committed to honesty from top to bottom. An honesty where what's in our heart connects directly with what comes off our lips. Either a yes, which means yes, in fact, or a no, which in fact means no. Jesus says here that anything more than this comes from evil, although it's also viable, as the Common English Bible and the New Jerusalem Bible and others have it. It's viable to render this as anything more than this comes from the evil one. It's a viable translation, meaning anything more than this comes from Satan. In John 8:44, Jesus pointed out that there is no truth in Satan whatsoever. And Jesus also called Satan the father of what? Lies. Friends, for us to be people of untruth, for us to swear oaths falsely, For us to deceive and manipulate others simply shows that Satan has influenced us and is working in us. That's what it shows. Well, to wrap this up today, I want to say that as it was last Sunday, where we said that divorce was permitted by God, but not commanded, permitted because of the hardness of human hearts. So we can say this week that oaths are permitted in this fallen human world, permitted in this current situation we find ourselves in where deceit is so common. Oaths are a device, we hope, that will ensure truth-telling in a world that is prone to lying. But oaths, we need to understand, would be superfluous and unnecessary in a world where truth-telling was always and actually the case. 
No one would have need for oaths in a world where honesty always ruled. And that's where we, as disciples of Jesus, are headed. We're headed to that world. Oaths will be utterly unnecessary in the new creation. Amen? For now, in this time, Jesus in our passage wants to put restrictions on oath-taking and oath-making. I think that's a fair statement. Restrictions on oath-taking and oath-making for us as his kingdom people. Yes, in this world, there will be times when oath-taking will be necessary or where oath-taking adds a necessary solemnity to the proceedings, like when we get married or when, as a witness in court, we are asked to take an oath or when we take an oath of citizenship in a new country or when we take an oath of office and we are permitted to take such oaths, we are permitted But as disciples of Jesus, we should work toward a minimum of oaths in our lives and in our language. You swear too many oaths, people will start wondering about how true you really are. Again, Jesus desires that we will become people who, because of the honesty and the heart integrity and the singleness of mind, that the Spirit has worked in us, that we develop a reputation for our yes being yes and our no being no. We want people to be able to point to us and say, that's a person whose yes means yes and no means no. He's proven it. She's proven it. Jesus is after people who don't even get asked to take oaths very often at all because they have proven their integrity. As Dan Doriani has said, the disciple's goal is that his or her words are so reliable that people do not even think to ask, do you promise? But now remember that in cases where you do promise something to another person, or in cases where you do take an oath, remember that you are certainly and inescapably doing that in God's presence. And remember Zechariah 8.17 where God says to you and says to me that he hates false oaths. And remember also in your promises and oaths that you are representing God to others. And that making false promises and being unreliable in your oaths is a negative testimony to your Lord. May God help each of us in our truth telling. And may he work integrity in our hearts by his spirit. And may God get glory from every aspect of our lives. Amen. Let's let's pray. Jesus, in some ways, it is remarkable to us to read a passage such as this, to see your heart for truth-telling. Because we live in a world where truth-telling seems to be getting less common by the day. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come right now and continue to work this into us. 
Uh, Lord, that you would change our hearts, change our minds, help us increasingly to be people of the truth, who have truth in the inward being that matches what we say on our lips. I pray this in the name of Jesus for every person in this room this week. Amen. And now, friends, press on to maturity with the confidence that whatever God ordains is right. And though dark be the road, know that God holds you so that you shall not fall. Amen.